sponsored in part by Eli Lilly and Company. Do you think you might have migraine? Talk to your healthcare professional about your symptoms, the number of days they impact your life, and which treatment options might be best for you. Learn more at thinkmigraine.com and the American Brain Foundation. For over 30 years, the foundation has worked with researchers to discover better treatment, prevention, and cures for brain diseases and disorders. Imagine life without brain disease. Learn more at AmericanBrainFoundation.org. The Epilepsy Foundation leads the fight to overcome the challenges of living with epilepsy and to accelerate therapies, stop seizures, find cures, and save lives. Visit Epilepsy.com to find out how to get involved today. And by Norellis, a leading neuroscience company focused on the development and commercialization of therapeutics for the treatment of epilepsy and other neurologic disorders. The company's unique drug portfolios strive to address unmet needs in patient care. Learn more at Norellis.com. Hi, I'm Dr. Joe Servin, a neurologist who practices at the Mayo Clinic in Jacksonville, Florida. This is What's Health Got to Do With It, which looks at where and how healthcare intersects with your life, helping you get the medical answers you want. Coming up, getting rid of sex trafficking tattoos, then helping human trafficking survivors one person at a time here in Jacksonville. Now, on February 12th, 2023, 113 million people tuned into the Fox network to hear this familiar theme. Of course, I'm talking about the Super Bowl, where a global audience watched the Kansas City Chiefs beat the Philadelphia Eagles in Phoenix, Arizona. Besides amazing football, food, and halftime concerts, Super Bowls are also known, either rightly or wrongly, for human trafficking. Like so many large sporting events, the Super Bowl, with its raucous celebrations and crowds, is notoriously susceptible to sex trafficking. Now, there's no definitive data that points to a significant increase in sex trafficking in the host city during the Super Bowl event. The persistent headlines over the years have connected the topics together, though, and have led the Super Bowl to become associated with human trafficking awareness campaigns. However, sex and labor trafficking is a form of modern slavery, and it's a problem every day worldwide. There are 50 million people trapped in modern-day slavery. It's enough to fill every seat of the Phoenix Estate Farm Stadium every day for the next two years. Of the many traumas that survivors of human trafficking suffer, most of them women, many are often branded with a tattoo or even burned to demonstrate ownership of that person by the trafficker. It's positively medieval. Take a listen to the voice of a human trafficking survivor as they talk about their tattoo in the 2018 Vice News documentary on sex trafficking tattoos. When I got the tattoo, it was actually by force. It was a branding by my trafficker. This tattoo is like right there as an ugly reminder of everything that I've fought to get away from. But when survivors are rescued, how do you help them get past the trauma when they're reminded constantly of their experience on their own skin. Well, there are doctors and others trying to help by working to get rid of the branding tattoos. Given that survivors of human trafficking are often identified by these markings when they touch the healthcare system, this issue is a healthcare topic. So much so that here in Florida, which ranks third in the nation in human trafficking cases, all professional healthcare personnel, nurses and doctors, that is, are required to undergo mandatory training on this issue to maintain their licensure, making the state a leader in this type of training. Joining us today to explore this issue are Anna Aragon. She's a physician journalist and a master's student at the Cronkite School of Journalism. Anna, welcome to our program. Thank you for having me. So good to have you here. And Dominique Rowe-Sepowitz, she is the director of ASU's 
that's Arizona State University's Office of Sex Trafficking Intervention Research. Professor, welcome to our program. Happy to be here. So good to have you both. And I'm going to start with you. Uh, I know you are a dermatologist in training or studying to be one. I'm curious, why did you bring this story? Why did you pursue this story? I know you brought it to my attention, uh, but what was the thing that fascinated you that led you to it? Of course. So like you said, I'm a medical student. I'm taking a year off from medical school to study health communications, and I'm getting, I'm emphasizing health disparities and skincare because I'm, I'm interested in going into the field of dermatology. And dermatology is... I think commonly misconstrued as being purely cosmetic or viewed as maybe not being as essential. So my intention with my work and research is to really highlight the importance of skin health and what disparities there are within the field of dermatology and dispel any common myths or misinformation that patients might have. So for this story specifically, I got the inspiration after talking to a pediatric dermatologist in Phoenix they were trying to get funding to establish a pediatric dermatology van that travels to homeless shelters and provides free tattoo removal for youth that want to get rid of tattoos, whether they're from former incarceration, gang activity, human trafficking, or whatever reason. Unfortunately, the physician didn't get the funding and the idea never came to fruition, but it stuck with me. So I started researching current organizations and initiatives that address this issue of tattoo removal in vulnerable uh, populations. And that's how I learned about Soul Survivor Inc., an Arizona-based nationwide nonprofit that provides free tattoo removal to sex trafficking survivors, as well as formerly incarcerated individuals. I love it. That that's a oh, what a great story. I'm sorry for that uh, for that individual who didn't get the funding. Let me start on a, with a, a super basic medical question. Uh, how, what is happening when someone gets a tattoo? Why doesn't it fade away as opposed to like if you get uh, mark yourself with ink uh, externally? What what's happening medically when someone gets a tattoo? Of course. So. To break it up in the most basic way possible, the skin is made up of two layers. The outer top layer is called the epidermis, and it's what we see. um, It's made up of dead skin cells that fall off. They're constantly uh, regenerating themselves. The inner layer of the skin is called the dermis, and it supports the epidermis and serves other functions. So basically, when you're getting ink placed for a tattoo, the tattoo artist aims to place the ink within the inner layer, the dermis. If they accidentally place the ink too shallow and it ends up in the epidermis, then um, the cells with the ink are going to slough off um, and the tattoo will gradually disappear. Professor, uh, can you set the stage for us about the issue of human and sex trafficking in the U.S.? Give us a sense of that uh, piece of the foundation of this story. So sex trafficking in the United States is quite complicated. It is an illicit uh, business. So the people that are participating in it um, are often hidden and hiding difficult to figure out how serious the problem is, how big and broad it is. And so we have to find ways to measure it. Um, And just to clarify, there are just a couple of counties in Nevada where prostitution is legal. And those are kind of held up as examples of health and wellness for people who are in prostitution. And what we find is that is is really not uh, valid, that those uh, persons who are in those brothels are also being trafficked. Their traffickers go on Tuesdays to pick up their paycheck. And so even when we see it in in kind of shining in the light or on on shows, uh, prostitution is inherent to sex trafficking. It it is something where there's a person being sold and a person who's buying them. Um, In the vast majority of cases, there's a person who is, is we call them the third party or the trafficker, who is forcing or compelling that person to exchange sex for something of value. Important to know that anyone under the age of 18 in the United States using our uh, federal laws, anyone under the age of 18 exchanging sex for something of value is a sex trafficking victim, regardless if there's a trafficker or not. But once a person turns 18, 
they have to prove that someone is forcing or compelling them into that prostitution situation. So we do lots of different types of research in the US trying to understand how many people are affected, who's affected, who's most likely to be vulnerable, and we're still working on it. This is um, the TVPA, our federal laws on trafficking were only passed in the year 2000. So our field is only 22 years old. For example, domestic violence, those laws, our federal laws started in the 1970s. So they've had 50 years to really understand the problem. So we're, we're still working on it, but we do not have uh, total numbers. We know there are victims in every state. There are people who are trafficked every single day in every single city in the United States. And, and, and it's important because I know I started off with the element of talking about Super Bowl, but yeah. it's not just when there's a huge, big event in a big city. It, it does have to do with men and money. And we actually did some research on the Super Bowl and found that the market did increase. The number of people being sold online in our community did go up in the 2015 Super Bowl. But what we found was that the vast majority, about 75% of the people calling to buy sex from those ads were people from our community, from Maricopa County, from our area codes. So the people in my community were enjoying the influx of of sellers, but what we didn't see was that the Super Bowl caused the trafficking to increase. There were definitely more men and more money here. Um, we also, during the Super Bowl this year, had our waste management huge uh, golf tournament and an auto auction, the Barrett Jackson, at the same time. All men, money, 100 miles away from their families, behaving in ways they wouldn't do. Um, in their own communities. And we see that in other centers like Las Vegas and New Orleans where people will go and spend money and you're gonna see prostitution. And then of course, because so much of prostitution is of people who are being forced or coerced, you're gonna see trafficking really spike in those communities. Anna, I know you uh, did reporting with specific individuals and sometimes hearing an individual story really gives us a sense of how bad this problem is. Uh, you featured a specific survivor in your reporting, Natalie Grace. Can you share her story with us? Of course. Uh, Natalie Grace is a 29-year-old sex trafficking survivor who graciously shared her story with me to help raise awareness of sex trafficking and the impact of, of branding. So her, her story was um, somewhat uh, unique and different, and perhaps Dominique can also um, provide us with some insight into individual stories. But with uh, Natalie Grace, what happened was that she was in an abusive relationship, and the night after heavily drinking, her uh, boyfriend at the time took advantage of her while she was sleeping and played uh, branded her with tattoos. They were teardrops on both sides of her eyes. And when she woke up and saw what had happened and she asked him, why did you do this to me? He said, because I want people to know that you're mine. And she ended up leaving that relationship. But what happened was that now that she had these tattoos on her face, she wasn't able to get a job and she had no income and this is what actually forced her into the sex trafficking situation herself and she was eventually uh, able to escape that but she continues to have the same problems of not being able to get a job or be taken seriously as a professional so she reached out to Soul Survivor Inc. to get these tattoos removed because she wants to move on with her life and she wants to get a job that she enjoys and that challenges her professionally. And to all of our listeners out there, you're listening to What's Health Got to Do With It on WJCT News 89.9. I'm Dr. Joe Servan. If you're just joining us, we're discussing tattoo removal from sex trafficking victims. And we want to hear from you. If you have an idea for future shows, tweet me at Jay Servan. Professor, how often do human trafficking victims get branded tattoos like we just heard uh, Anna describe uh, with the individual she interviewed? 
We actually see branding quite often. Um, there's actually some changes over time that we've seen. Initially, we saw uh, people's names um, are starting to see more in the last 10 years of symbols, um, crowns, things that are gang related to show that not only is she owned by someone, but it is by a specific group or by a, a specific gang. Um, we see them uh, trafficking victims who are children, um, being tra uh, having tattoos and coming forward and asking for removal. Uh, rarely do we see them done in tattoo parlors or in legal means, which is very difficult to stop. We see uh, they're almost always black and white. They're almost always somewhere where whether a person has their clothes on or off that a, another person might see them. Mm. Sometimes it's someone's name on their neck. Um, it is, we have a, a really great um, gallery of trafficking uh, tattoos that we use in our training to show service providers, law enforcement, medical professionals, uh, probation officers to say, if, if you see someone with something that looks like this, just ask them about it. What is that tattoo about? What happened that day? What was going on? And where did this come from? We're also seeing something actually specific to Florida where we're seeing something called soft branding. We're seeing a little bit in Las Vegas, but we've heard more about it in Florida where traffickers will buy their victims a, a, a piece of jewelry that has the same type of thing on it, a name or something that is the, is his name or, or the name of their group. Um, encrusted in diamonds or fake diamonds. And that victim, similar to any gift that a trafficker gives them, feels a huge obligation and gratefulness for it. They're under the spell of that trafficker. They're under his control or their control. And this gift is incredibly meaningful. So the tattoo can really help a person feel connected to the person that gave it to them. They feel like they belong. They feel like they're a part of it. So I've had clients who have tattoos of white supremacy, right? A, a very distinctive uh, piece of uh, a symbol um, that they didn't believe in, but their trafficker did. And they loved their trafficker so much and they wanted to please their trafficker. And they put that symbol, they had that symbol put on their body with their trafficker. And then of course, years later, they still have a symbol of hate that everyone can see when they walk past her. And so we really love the idea of having this this symbol removed. It's it's a chance to freedom. It takes away that when you look in the mirror, you're reminded of that trauma and that experience. Um, but tattoos are really important. <laughs> Another aspect of tattoos that's important for those of us who are fighting for the rights of our victims is that traffickers also put tattoos on their bodies to show that they're a trafficker. And so we have wow. a great, again, gallery from Multnomah County where they take pictures of people who are in jail and they are very distinctive. They are uh, certain baseball mitts from Chicago that are very specific to a gang, but it, it has words and language around trafficking. Um, we have pictures of women's bodies being snapped in half and money coming out of their body. Um, and so for those of us educating the community prosecutors, those who are going after traffickers, for them to ask for admissibility in court of tattoos on the body of the traffickers, a really important piece of information that maybe we hadn't thought of before. So we see tattoos on victims that show ownership, and we see tattoos on traffickers that are proud of what they're doing, who they are, and how they're hurting and harming other people for money. Uh, Professor, let me ask a follow-up on that. So uh, we heard uh, in Anna's description of the story of how uh, Nellie got uh, her tattoo. Uh, it was as uh, she was asleep or or uh, or, or uh, kind of uh, without her knowing, if you will. Um, is is there a, is that a typical story? Are there certain characteristics to survivors that that, that makes you more likely to fall into this or or am I looking at it wrong? I, I, I certainly don't want to, to, to mislead in that way. No, those are, that's a great question, but that's a couple of different questions. So first I've only heard one case out of about 3000 survivors I've worked with that was asleep when they, their tattoo were drugged, when their tattoo was given to them. So that is a bit of a unique situation. Okay. Most of it is done with the consent of the victim. She loves him. She, this is part of their commitment together. This is a promise. And it comes with uh, so much loyalty and connection to that person. It's part of the, 
the coercive control of a trafficker to convince a person to get marked on their body, right? Think about what that person has already had to do to convince them to go have sex with other people outside of their relationship and give the money to them. So this is just one more coercive control, one more dominance, one more show of power that the victim allows because they are powerless or in love or kind of under the spell. There are some very distinct vulnerabilities for sex trafficking in the U.S. that we know well. It, diff it differs from some, somewhat by region, but what we know is that 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 people have wants and they have needs. So they might want a new purse and their nails done. They might want some attention. They might want something, and a trafficker is going to figure that out really fast. They're going to buy them those things and treat them nicely, and then they're going to break down their barriers. They're going to have sex with them an awful lot to make sure that sex doesn't feel really important or connected or or remotely um, romantic. It's going to become just something that you do, right, and minimize the intimacy, and they're going to prostitute them to their friends and people they know and put them out there. Other people have needs. They don't have enough food. They can't pay their rent. They're addicted to drugs and they have to pay for it. Other people are afraid of their community. They're in danger. And that trafficker offers them those things, food, pay their mother's rent, do the things they need. And then there's a debt that is that is fulfilled. Um, and she or he or they has to do something to pay them back. And that debt is never ending. So wants and needs make a person incredibly vulnerable. Understood. Anna, you feature in your reporting an organization, and you've already mentioned this, that's devoted to eliminating these branded tattoos. Uh, how does that work? Yes. So Soul Survivor Inc. Uh, was founded by Gina Jernukian in Scottsdale, Arizona. And she talked about how she was a permanent makeup artist and started seeing these women come in getting weird tattoos. She said that they were they weren't they didn't talk. They were surrounded by mean men that would be insulting and aggressive. And Gina thought this is really weird. And she mentioned it to her colleagues and asked them if they had similar clients. And that's when they told her that it's most likely related to sex trafficking. And Gina was appalled at the role that she unknowingly was playing in this. And she reached out to shelters and began to offer her services of tattoo removal for free. But the demand quickly surpassed her physical ability. And she began looking for other um, makeup, um, artists, tattoo artists, uh, pro uh, medical providers who would be willing to provide these services uh, for free. And she ended up setting up the nonprofit Soul Survivor Inc. And uh, what happens is that soul uh, sex trafficking survivors or formerly incarcerated individuals reach out to Soul Survivor Inc. And the organization will then try and find a provider that's near the survivor and um, connect them and they will reimburse the provider for ink and materials that are used but um, the provider will be donating their time and expertise uh, to this cause on a, a medical question um, that i think a lot of folks are going to be curious about how hard is it to get rid of a tattoo or a branded tattoo for that matter so getting rid of a tattoo is harder than actually getting one. <laughs> and right. it has a lot to do with the size of the tattoo, where the tattoo is located, what colors of ink um, have been used, um, how deep in the skin the ink was placed. Um, and when it comes to branding specifically, branding is not only limited to tattoos, it can also be burns and cuts and scars um, that are um, difficult to remove as well. Um, common techniques that are used may be um, laser surgery that um, really gets rid of the pigmentation, um, but also surgically removing them um, or dermabrasion, which is basically um, just exfoliating the top layer of the skin off. Um, and these are things that don't that are complicated and take time. It's usually not done in just one session. Got it. Professor, how important 
is it in the survivor's ability to kind of get past this to have a branding tattoo eliminated? Is, is, is it crucial? How would you kind of characterize that? I, I agree. And a number of my clients have received uh, services from Soul Survivor and have, uh, in both cases that I can think of right now, had them covered up because the removal actually with the laser is quite painful and just excruciating for them. But they did cover them up with really beautiful tattoos that make them feel really proud. I, I always remember that the one of the most severe types of torture is when you hurt someone on their feet that you damage their feet, you you wound their feet. So every step they take, they are reminded of that experience. And I think tattoos that are in the sight of the victim is something like that, that the trafficker is reminding them of what is happening to them, where they are at that moment, and really hold them in that place. And by removing that really takes away that every minute, every moment reminder. And we can then work on the other types of healing, the, the development of sense of self, the decrease of trauma symptoms, the, the, the warming and connecting to other people and trusting. But if every minute of every day you look down and you see something that reminds you of something that happened to you that was really, really hurtful and harmful and, and really torturous, um, it's really quite hard to pass to to keep moving forward and to pass by it, Professor. On, on a follow up to that, besides uh, trying to eliminate these branding tattoos, what other interventions are are done uh, in order to help survivors move on? So I think there's a couple. So first, there's the medical interventions, which I think might be interesting to your audience. You know, our clients have interacted with other people, their bodies, their uh, lots of trauma to the physical body. Um, we have people who have stomas between their vagina and their, their rectum, their, their colon, and things that happen because of their prostitution and experience being forced to have sex with so many people. And uh, many of those people that they were interacting with were violent towards them. So we have head injuries and neck injuries and lots of things that we can ask people about really respectfully and lovingly um, without blame and shame. So making sure that when you're interacting with someone who's presenting with a systemic uh, problems related to violence that we're paying attention and thinking how this person may have been in a situation where they didn't have any choice that they were really in trouble there. So first we want to make sure that people have all of the physical health that we can give them, make sure that they're um, feeling well. And, and of course the next thing we want to make sure is they're eating well, that they're healthy, that they're getting the nutrition that they need and they feel good. And then we can start and talk about trauma and the things that have happened most of the clients that I have served in my work have come from places and families where there were other things that happened to them, sexual abuse or lack of trust or connection, um, being moved around a lot, um, really feeling like they don't know who they are. And so we can work on that through uh, different types of healing services, trauma-focused work. Uh, we have a group that I developed called STAR, Sex Trafficking Awareness and Recovery. That's a curriculum that, that uses cognitive behavioral therapy to help people heal. But the best thing we found is that finding a person who knows what you're talking about, finding a counselor or a mentor or someone who survived trafficking as well to let you see what you can be, to help you move forward and say, I could heal, I can be a parent, I can be a friend, I can be a, a partner, and, and learning how to heal and move forward. Anna, where can people find out more about these nonprofits? I know the one you've mentioned that helps to eliminate tattoos from traffic survivors. I think, uh, like I mentioned, the Soul Survivor Inc. is a good place to start because even though they are Arizona, um, they originated in Arizona, they they will help uh, survivors all over the United States. Um, and so going to their website, soulsurvivor.inc. is a good place to start. Dominique, um, I'm not sure if perhaps you have other resources that you might recommend. So we do. I have a website at ASU STIR, um, S-T-I-R, where we are full of research and full of connections. There's online training and online training materials. And then we have a website called Sex Trafficking Help. Dot com, all one word, sextraffickinghelp.com. That is full of resources and information about agencies that can help. We have two other websites, 
project starfish.education is a school-based education website about human trafficking and educating teachers and, and school providers. And then we have a brand new one because we know so many of the victims that we serve have been in special education programming. We have a new website called uh, sextraffickingandspecialeducation.com full of resources for parents and teachers of people who are in special education to help prevent them from ever being trafficked. Anna, I want to have uh, you have uh, the chance to to provide any message to our listeners out there that you want to leave them with on this topic. I think I want people to be aware that disparities exist within the field of dermatology and just be conscious as a physician, as a provider, like it, as even as a permanent makeup artist that sex trafficking is real and it's prevalent. And if you just take the time to be um, aware and to ask the right questions that you can make a really big difference and connect people with um, the right resources to move past that. Professor Sepowitz, I wanna make sure I give you the the last word. Uh, What message do you wanna have out there as it comes to this issue of both the, the tattoos and human trafficking in general? I think my last sort of thoughts are that we have to be very careful about how we make judgment when we look at other people and see the messages that maybe other people put on top of them. But I do think there's a call to action we need in our community that each of us needs to really look around us and see what are the things that we are participating in or allowing to happen in our community that so many children and so many vulnerable people are being trafficked. So we really appreciate the Save the Children movement and all of the the ideas that people should be safe in our communities. But there's also so much that we are doing that is allowing traffickers to prostitute and traffic people in every town, in every city, in every state in our country. And what can we do to stop that? What can we stop buying? What can we stop uh, going to? How can we make our money? that we donate go to places that are really making a difference. So I think Soul Survivor Inc. is one of those places that can really make a difference. I run a housing program called uh, called Starfish Place. That's where the real work happens. And so trying to make sure that we discern between you know, people who are saying this is a terrible problem and people who are really doing the work is, is really part of my message. I want to thank you both uh, for joining us today, enlightening us on, on such a a complicated and and just such difficult topic. Uh, you both have been so wonderful in in just providing us a lot of insight and resources. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much. We've been talking to Anna Aragon. She is a physician journalist at the Cronkite School of Journalism, as well as a medical student. And Dominique Rowe Sepowitz. She is director of Arizona State University's Office of Sex Trafficking Intervention Research. Up next, helping human trafficking survivors one person at a time. Kristen Keene of Rethreaded joins us. We'll be right back. You don't. Try to change me Hi, I'm Dr. Joe Servin, a neurologist who practices at the Mayo Clinic in Jacksonville, Florida. This is what's health got to do with it. We've been hearing about sex trafficking survivors nationally and the misery of being branded as belonging to someone, as well as how folks are helping to eliminate these markings. According to the Human Trafficking Hotline, Florida continues to rank third in the U.S. for human trafficking cases behind California and Texas. And sadly, we here in Jacksonville are not immune to this issue. Fortunately, though, we have some amazing organizations that are here to help, including Rethreaded. Rethreaded is a social enterprise that renews hopes, reignites dreams, and releases potential for survivors of human trafficking. They do this by providing long-term employment coupled with mental health services, crisis counseling, and job training. Joining us now in studio to talk more about Rethreaded is its founder and CEO, Kristen Keene. 
Kristen, welcome to our program. Thank you for having me. We are so glad to have you here. So Kristen, set the stage for us on a local level. How big is the problem of human trafficking here in Jacksonville and North Florida? So out of the entire United States, Jacksonville ranks 48th in reported cases of human trafficking. So out of all the cities in the country. Oh, out of all the cities. So out of hundreds of cities. We're 48th. Um, And JSO at one point estimated, you know, about 2,000. But then we just sat down and sat down with, we had a group discussion with all our survivors and we can go into the complexity of this, but they're like, no, that's so underestimated because so much is underground and not seen. So for what we know. Yeah, about two, they're, they're estimating around 2,000. But at, we're certainly top 50, sadly. Yeah, a, ra- 50. A, a bad ranking for us to be doing well mm-hmm. in. Um, I just, and I just, I want to speak to that a little bit. Sure. Because the only good thing about that, it means that we're doing something and we're recognizing it. Like, that's the flip side of it, is that Jacksonville's actually acknowledging that it's a problem in our city. So I need to give props because there's cities who are who will not who they just don't think it happens there so so that's good it's good that we're seeing it i love Mm -hmm. silver linings uh especially as if it gets us to solutions Mm -hmm. i just described your organization but i want to give you the opportunity to do that what is rethreaded i love that name i know i love the name so the name kind of implies so we we this we allow an opportunity for women to rethread their lives so it's the idea Uh. of taking threads of pain and rethreading them into something that actually, instead of taking your potential, allowed you to reach your potential. Um, and this is kind of the human condition, right? We all we all have hurt in our life that stops us from being who we're created to be. So if we can get in a safe environment, a safe community, and be given that opportunity to heal, then our pain can be trans- transformed into something that changes the world. How did you come up with that name? How what's that origin? I love how you've just framed it, but how did how did that happen? It was a little honestly, it was a little bit by accident because we we knew that when we started this company, we were going to be upcycling t-shirts into new product. Right. And um honestly, we went me and my friends. This is we were so it's so grassroots. Me and my friends sat around and we went through a, a naming party and someone had put rethreaded as an option and it ended up making it to the end and it fit perfectly with what we the work we were doing and the product we were making and that's how it came i love it so yeah let's get back into the origin uh, in general what led you to start the organization it's it's incredible yeah so it's a it's personal i had some not great experiences around the issue of sex in high school i'm sorry college and i was like i never want another woman to feel like this and Around that time, I was early 20s. And also in my life, I also just wanted to be married at 23, three kids by 30, stay at home mom. And that was like my life's goals. (laughs) And none of that has happened. And I ended up actually moving to Calcutta, India and living there for five years and working with women in Calcutta, India, starting a business there with my friends. And that business, I was there until it employed about 30 women. And then it kept going and they grew it to about 120 women. And then I came back from India to Jacksonville and I met women in my own city um, who were victims of human trafficking. I was like, this is in my own city. This is right here in my own town, people from my own country. And I knew what to do because of my experience in India. I saw what would happen if you put women in a healthy community and economically empower them, they will change their lives. So we started a business here. That is absolutely incredible. You went to Calcutta for the sake of helping. Yeah. Uh, what mm-hmm. what what was the the piece that that's going to the other side of the world, <laughs> right? Well, I was part of the small missions organization. It was called Word Made Flesh, and this is how long ago it was. We we don't even use this language anymore. It was the the mission of it was to take care of the poorest of the poor in third world mega cities around the world. So a lot of the work ended up being with women and children. And the work that we did in the brothels there was actually started by a guy who accidentally found it, was propositioned and accidentally found it. And then 
The red light district there was 10,000 women, 3,000 underage. That's a whole city almost. Yeah, it was. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. When it comes to to rethreaded here in uh, Jacksonville, how exactly does it work? So we're kind of so if if a woman's able to leave, let's just start there. People like hear stories about rescue or whatever. Actually, for a woman to leave, she we've identified 91 barriers that she has to walk through. 91. So this is everything from driver's license, criminal background, loneliness, PTSD, severe complex trauma. I mean, it is. So when you leave the world, you walk in to 91 barriers. So that's why the stats say only 20% of women ever make it out. I, I, it's astounding, astounding to hear that that's all in front of you. Yes. And you're, you're coming out of severe complex trauma. So your brain has been in trauma for however long you're in there and you lose your ability to rationally think. So, I mean, the odds are stacked against you. So we work with women who've been able to leave and then they have about six months of sobriety and stability. So we partner a lot with like um, Gateway. It's a local drug rehab in our city, Gateway River Region City Rescue Mission. And then once, once they're kind of through that initial six months, they come to us and we have they're employed in our company they work on our company and then we have a full-time care manager on staff three trauma specialist counselors so while they're employed and being economically empowered learning practical job skills that they can take into their future in a community that will love them and support them that's trauma informed they also have access to services they have access to people who will walk with them through those 91 barriers and sorry i'm talking so much and it's long term <laughs> it's 3 to 5 years like, it's not like a six-month program. It's three to five years they're employed at Rethreaded. So you are working uh, with, it sounds like, medical groups from, mm-hmm. from what you just described and law enforcement groups as mm-hmm. well. Now, when you work with these folks, let's say there's a given individual, who, how do you determine if they're the candidate for Rethreaded? Is that everybody? Is it anyone that's identified? How does that logistically work? So it depends on where they're at in their journey. So we they're initially for a woman to be come to rethreaded. Usually what happens is she's referred to us. She's referred to us by one of our partners, or what happens more often than not is they know someone who a woman in rethreaded who has healed and reclaimed her life and they knew each other on the when they were out in the life. And literally women are paving the women for the way for other women behind them. So usually they have some kind of referral and then they meet with our our counselors for a psychosocial to see where they're at, what kind of support do they have, and then the next is a job interview and then employment. And we try to run two to three hirings per year. Got it. Yeah. One of the things in preparation uh, for my discussion with you is uh, is the use of certain language. Mm-hmm. Um, I originally had put in, I'm going to ask about victims, but mm-hmm. I understood you want to talk about survivors. <laughs> Can you tell me why why that language, mm-hmm. survivor versus victim, is important in our discussion about this topic? Because victim implies, it carries a whole bunch of weight when you say that word victim. Like, they're powerless, they are weak somehow because they were a victim. And what we use specifically use the term survivor because it points to the strength of the woman, like survived human trafficking. Yeah. I mean, like navigated her way through it. She found ways to navigate through the violence, the manipulation, the um, all of it. She survived it. And there is deep, deep strength in her and deep skills that she's developed to get through it. I mean, it's amazing. Our women are amazing. How many individuals have you been able to help? Well, directly in employment, we've 78. Wow. Yeah. That, that you've gotten through all these barriers and, and all yeah. of this. I also understand that you've moved to a bigger campus yeah. in order to help others. Uh, is, is this just a, like kind of a sense of the mission has grown or the problem is now more people know who you are and this is a way to refer into uh, what's gone on there. So we were in 2,800 square feet for the first 10 years 
And that limited our capacity to hire to about 12. And I, as the founder, hate saying no. Like if there's a woman in front of me, I want to help her. And like we were little, I do not know how we survived that long in that building. We ran, we had a retail store in it, production in it. And I would, ha- we'd have to say no. So I'm super passionate about what I do. So I was like, we need a new building. And we eventually moved into a new building. It's 36,000 square feet, two wow. acres. Yeah. And we will have the capacity to build out our program, to build out our resor- resources, build out our services. And our goal is to, to never be able to, to never say no to a woman who's ready to work. Like we will find you a way to, to, to rebuild your life through work. Simply incredible. It sounds like though, with the size of that campus and the magnitude of the problem that a lot of resources are needed. How, how is this funded? So this makes us really unique as a nonprofit. We're about 50% by sales and 50% by donations. So the donation covers, so our when our women are employed, they are paid okay. when they go to care management, paid when they go to group counseling. Um, we pay for their counseling. So all the donations provide the services. And then the sales of our product is what provides the actual work. So we run an upcycling company where we upcycle T-shirts okay. and leather airline seats from Southwest really? into new products. <laughs> I will never think of Southwest yeah, the same way. I love but... this. It's my. It was always my favorite. Now it's definitely my favorite. And about a year and three months ago, we purchased a candy company, and now we make toffee. We make the best toffee, literally, in the entire world. We just got voted best chocolate shop in the in Jacksonville. I, I now need to visit this. Oh, you have to. It's so good. Tell us about the what now you've just described a few of these, but uh, how can people find these kind of one of a kind upcycled elements or the toffee, the chocolate? I mean, how how can we how can folks that are listening out there? I imagine that there'll be several who want to go. Well, how do I how how do I get to see all of this? Yes. Yeah, so if you live in Jacksonville, you have to come see our campus. We're open. Our stop is open nine to five, Monday through Friday. And then we're always having events, whether it's an educational event or a fun event. And then you can find us online at rethreaded.com. And this is something a lot of people don't know we do. How we're actually trying to scale our company is through corporate gift giving. So like we make corporate gift boxes. Okay. We can put your logos on it, your initials on it. So it's the win, win, win of business. You win because you're given a great gift. You give it to your recipient. They're like, this company's awesome. They're supporting survivors of human trafficking and then women's lives are changed. So it's the I'm, best of business. I'm now super curious. So what's in this corporate gift box that you can offer folks? So there's journals. Journals okay. and toffee are the best sellers. Wow. 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 <laughs> we also have coasters and dop kits and um, a wine key, like lots of creative stuff that's really beautiful. Do you guys have a website or uh, or catalog yep. in order to kind of see this? If you go down to rethreaded, if you go to rethreaded.com and go to corporate gifts, you can you can look at it. How can our listeners find out more about the organization, either whether to help you all directly contribute uh, or just, you know, help kind of advance your mission? Uh, how can uh, you give folks uh, that uh, practical logistical advice? So, I mean, go to our website right, <laughs> and right. Facebook, Instagram. We're not on TikTok, um, LinkedIn, but we've really grown through word of mouth. So like once people purchase from us or experience us, it's the word of mouth, honestly, that helps that has grown rethreaded. It's pretty amazing. I want to leave you with uh, the ability to give a couple of messages out. What message would you have for our listener about rethreaded? And then the second part is to maybe uh, there is a survivor out there that's listening to this, looking for a sense of hope. What message do you have for them? When our women are in the life, they'll tell me stories of what was the hardest part. And you would think it's whatever, beatings, rapes. And a lot of what they say is how they were treated by people in hospitals or law enforcement or the the general stranger right. hurt more right. because they were treated so shamefully. So because human trafficking looks different than what people think. 
And uh, and so far, um, all of our women come out of addiction. Right. So they're labeled as hopeless addicts, blah, blah, blah. This is their choice, all this stuff. So my my plea and really what, because what has made the biggest difference in their lives is when those same people show kindness and see them. Like that's all they ask. They're like, why didn't anyone see me? Why didn't anyone ask me? And just to see someone and not the surface, but what to see them as a human being and treat them with worth, treat them with value. Um, and that's what I would tell a survivor is there are women who have come before you. They have paved the way for you. Like we're waiting for you. Like every morning we pray for you. We pray for you to find a way out. There's 72 women who have gone before you and we are for you. And there is a place of safety for you. So don't give up. It will take all your courage, but you can do it. Kristen, uh, I'm going to let that be a, a beautiful words of, of, of ending uh, this uh, interview. I just want to say thank you so much. Uh, I'm at Godspeed with uh, advancing your mission. Uh, this you. work is so needed. Uh, I hope that many folks out there help out and help this incredible organization grow. Thank you. We've been talking to Kristen Keen. She's founder and CEO of Rethreaded, who's out there to help human trafficking survivors one person at a time. Well, that's our program for today. We hope you've enjoyed our show. If you missed anything, you can listen to the full episode at WJCT.org and on your favorite podcast app. Thanks to all of our guests. Our executive producer is David Luckin. Heather Schatz is our senior producer. Brendan Rivers is our producer. Isabella De Silva is our director. Next week's program is a look at a condition afflicting millions of Americans, yet many don't even know it, Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome. If you have questions about this or any topic, let us know by calling us at 904-358-6362, email us at health at wjct.org, or tweet me at jservin. I'm Dr. Joe Servin, and you're listening to What's Health Got to Do With It on WJCT News 89.9 Jacksonville. Thank you for listening, and stay in touch. Sponsored in part by Eli Lilly and Company. Is migraine impacting your life or daily activities four or more days per month? If so, ask your healthcare professional if you are a candidate for migraine prevention treatments and which ones might be best for you. Learn more at thinkmigraine.com and the American Brain Foundation. For over 30 years, the foundation has worked with researchers to discover better treatment, prevention, and cures for brain diseases and disorders. Imagine life without brain disease. Learn more at American Brain Foundation and by the Epilepsy Foundation leads the fight to overcome the challenges of living with epilepsy and to accelerate therapies, stop seizures, find cures, and save lives. Visit epilepsy.com to find out how to get involved today.